Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. We're in part four, which is pretty awesome. We've been, we've been trudging through it for a while. Uh, we started last week in Matthew. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can open up to Matthew chapter 11. If you don't have one and you like the physical copy, we have some in the back there that you can steal uh, and keep if you'd like. Uh, or you can use your phone if you're cool like that too. We're going to be in Matthew 11, verse, starting in verse 25. Now, this is, uh, as we're kind of getting there, I like to talk while you guys are looking. Uh, This is is probably one of, I I think, the coolest passages in all of Matthew. And I've said that, like I've said close to that a few weeks before. I'm like, this is an awesome passage, and maybe I just love the Bible. But I truly believe this is probably potentially one of my favorite passages in all of Matthew. um, And it's really only found uniquely in Matthew. And today, I want to talk about this idea, and I'm curious what you think of whenever you think of this. But... If you were to describe Jesus in, if Jesus in his heart in like one or two words, what words would you think of? You know, like what words rattle off in your head? You're like, um, grace, love, peace, authority. I don't know. Like, what do you think of, you know? And, and a lot of us, um, you know, we, re- we hear the stories of Jesus and we think about like what this might be. And we, we take these stories about him and we take what has been said and we, we try to piece it all together. Well, this, is, this passage is so cool and so uh, beautiful because this is the only passage really in the entire Bible where we get Jesus talking about his very own heart. Really the only instance. And so if you want to know the deepest core of Jesus, and I would say Jesus is God of God, then this is it right here. And I'm excited to share with you guys this. It's no, um, it's no coincidence that uh, you know, we, had, we had to move this Sunday and we decided just to go to like, plan it. And uh, it ended up being on this passage, which is really, really cool and special for me. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to jump in, verse 25, Matthew 11. It said, At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, this was your gracious will. Now, just pausing here, this is unique, because if you were here last week, uh, if you weren't, I'll catch you up real quick, but... This, this part of, of Matthew is, is called opinions of the king because everybody has different understandings of who they think Jesus is, what he should do, what he should be about, the way in which he should go about it. And he just had all, he just had his forerunner, John the Baptist, who was like supposed to be like the guy that would get it, was starting to question, is this Jesus really the Messiah in jail? And jail makes you do crazy things. But he was like, I don't know. And Jesus is like, hey man, I am. And he tells him the things that he's done and he will do. And it was different than what John had in, 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 thought it would be. But we just before this, if you look just above this passage, you have this, it might say, you know, woes on unrepentant cities, a little bit bleak. You know, you're like, oh, this is an interesting kind of, uh, kind of pivot here. And Jesus is basically talking about, and he's like lamenting over cities that have seen his power and denied it. Whether uh, some of these cities have seen him do radical things, and so he's like, they're like extra, like they've seen so much of me and they still deny me. And other of these cities have maybe not seen as much, but at the end of the day, he's, he's, he's devastated for them because the, the reality of what they are, they are going to do is choosing their own kingdom over his, and their own kingdom will eventually lead to suffering and death. And 
Then he decides, after this, he starts to pray, and he basically, we get nervous. We're like, oh my gosh, that's really doomsday. That's like kind of scary. And then Jesus gives us this passage, which is what we would call his invitation. It is, we've been leading up to this for weeks, months, where we figure out, okay, I've heard this teaching of Jesus. I, I think maybe I believe in what he has to say, or at least I'm compelled by it. And what does it mean to follow him then? This is really it. This is his invitation for all of us. And we're going to read that. And, but these first two verses are unique because to start off with these, he's kind of telling you like who you have to be in order to receive this. And if you read, it says little children, which you're like, well, uh, I got my license, so I'm too old. I can drive, and I'm a, a grown man or woman, so I guess I'm checked out of that. And if you read it at face value, it can be like kind of, kind of confusing, right? And, and you also ask yourself, he says in this, he says, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to little children. And you start to ask yourself, and I've asked this, well, why would God, like, why would he hide what he's doing? Like, he wants everyone to receive it, to see it, to understand it, to embody it, to experience it. Why would he hide it? And so we first kind of have to take a step back and ask, well, what does God hate? What does God hate the most? And sin. One of the, one of the probably biggest themes in the Bible is pride. If you think about sin from Adam and Eve at the beginning of your Bible till the end, it's pride. It's choosing, thinking your kingdom is best and disregarding his kingdom because they're always at odds because you think you can play God, but if you play God, you're removing the true God from his throne. And, you know, we think about like, oh, I, you know, I make good money, I have three degrees, or, you know, we think about all these things and, and we don't realize in light of eternity that the kingdom that we're building is, is, is futile. And so his phrasing here, wise and intelligent, doesn't mean like, oh, like we should just believe in Jesus like we believe in Santa Claus. Like little kids believe it. You know, they don't know any better. I mean, it's not possible for Santa to go to every house in the, on earth in one night, including houses that don't have chimneys. You know, how does that work? You know, you've seen the one where like it happened. That's not real. Come on, right? And, and so I think sometimes people like think that that's it, right? Well, you just got to have blind faith. Like you just, you know, you don't need to be smart. In fact, be dumb and then believe it. And then there you go. And he's not saying that because there's so much more to faith than just this idea of, of trusting in something you can't see. What is, what is a lot of behind it is, and, and if, we, if we remember his first sermon that he gave in Matthew called the Sermon on the Mount, which is really like his State of the Union address, right? It's like, here I am, I'm being inaugurated as king, here's what my kingdom looks like. He, he uses these examples uh, where he's basically like assembling his team, right, that's going to be in the kingdom. And who are they? You know, if you were in middle school and you guys played dodgeball, I don't, it's probably like too unsafe now or something. But back in the day, you know, when you play dodgeball and, you know, you're like, I'm going to pick the football player Chad to be on my team. Clearly, I'm not, like, I'm not, like, when you're thinking about who you're going to pick, right, you're thinking about all these athletes. I'm not going to pick the skinny Bartholomew kid who's a science major and, ha- like, doesn't even know which hand to throw with, right? Now, in science, I know who I'm going to pick, right? Yeah. Not Chad, right? <laughs> but, but as you start to pick, you know, People can really judge you based on your picks, right? Like, oh, you picked so-and-so, oh, your friends, or oh, that was a dumb pick. or You know what I mean? You can't even get judged by picking. And Jesus goes, and he gets these ragtag group of people and all these other people who you think he'd pick, and he doesn't pick any of them. And everybody's like, well, this guy's clearly an idiot. Like, what kind of team is he going to have, you know? And, and I, I think it, it sounds silly, but it's literally what Jesus is doing when he's saying, here's, here's, here's the kingdom that I'm inaugurating. And, and it's, he's not being socialistic about it all. He's not trying to just level the playing field. But what he's trying to show us is that the key virtue in experiencing the kingdom of heaven is humility. It's the antithesis of pride. And what do little children have? Now, little children can get angry and selfish, but at the end of the day, they're innocent, 
and they're humble in a lot of ways. They don't know what they don't know, and they're okay with it, right? Like, they have this imagination. You can go play on a swing set with them, and they will do things that don't seem real and have this beautiful imagination that we're like, well, that's not how that works, you know? Or the floor isn't actually lava, you know? It's, it's, it's wood. It's not going to burn you, right? But to them, it's real. And he's saying this because the, even the intellectualism of the world can creep in on us and cause this thing that we really know the best, right? Like that we know what's right and what's wrong. And at the end of the day, we don't know anything. I mean, think about it. We act like we do, and there is something that could happen to you an hour from now that you could not predict that would change your life, and you'd have no control over it. I mean, we don't live like that, right? Some of you might be more anxious than, than, than other people, but we don't live like that. You don't live like getting in your car, and your car could explode, or you get in a car accident, or you turn on your TV and, and something bad had happened in Columbus that we couldn't even imagine, right? Like, we don't live like that. We think we know more than we do. But there's still evil. There's still malevolence. There's still suffering in this world. And we can kind of deflect it and just say, well, I'm just going to focus on the good things, right? But we all can acknowledge there's bad in the world. And, and, and a lot of times it comes in tandem with wisdom and intelligence in that wisdom of the world and intelligence of the world, if it, if it puffs us up, it becomes dangerous and futile. And so what Jesus is saying here is, you've revealed it to little children because the prerequisite for the kingdom is humility. Because if you think you're God, why would you want to go into this kingdom? It doesn't make any sense, right? Like, you're not king in that kingdom immediately, right? Who's on the throne? God, not you. So there's this battle with pride that we deal with, and so that's why he's giving us these woes, right? These, woe to this city, woe to that city. They saw the things, but they didn't actually believe it. Now, if you follow the story of like the, the religious leaders, right, the experts, they knew all, they, they were like seminary grads, right, they knew all the answers, they wouldn't believe in Jesus and what he was doing. And you, some people get confused, like, well, why? Like, they, like, a lot of them saw the things that he did. But why didn't he? Because their heart is so rooted in the things of themselves that they will justify against the things that are right in front of them. And, and in this passage, this is kind of what Jesus is getting at. It's like, look, you're, like, Jesus is revealing himself to everyone. But a lot of us would rather choose ourselves over him. A lot of us don't want to believe it to be true. A lot of us have so many structures and walls set up in our kingdoms that we can't fathom breaking them down and stepping into another reality. But at the end of the day, when we're willing to do that, like when we're willing to step into humility, we're like a toddler at a candy store. It's like, what? This is, all, this is awesome. But before that, we have all these walls up. So verse 27, it says, All these things have been handed over to my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son decides to reveal Him to. This is kind of a confusing passage. Honestly, you can teach a whole sermon on just this passage. But what he's getting at here is there's this oneness with the Father and the Son. There's this relationship. We only are able to access the Father through the Son and His sacrifice. And what the Father does is He says, hey, I'm going to give you all authority over over this kingdom on earth, right? And, and, and for us to, to be able to be in that, we have to follow Jesus. We have to believe in what he's doing. And so he's kind of leading us into this invitation that I'm about to talk about. And he's saying, here's the cities who didn't get it. Woe to them. Here is the prerequisite for this invitation, for the kingdom. And then here is who gives it. It's truly Jesus and his authority and his power. The Father has given him all authority. And this is not a knowing Jesus, like intellectually, like we think, it's part of that. But the word is more accurately described as relationship. So there's this relationship that Jesus is inviting us into. And, and, and if, you, if you're thinking, well, who does he reveal it to? The simplest way to put it is anyone who will listen and is humble enough to see it. Anyone who will listen and is humble enough to receive it. 
So let's go to the invitation, verse 28. You've probably, maybe, maybe you've heard this verse or you've seen it like quoted on something. It says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Some say rest for your souls. Um, instead of weary, they say like um, late, heavy laden. You ever use that word? I don't even know what laden means, but heavy laden apparently is bad. And, and they use this, they uses these words. And I just think about this, like, just, for, just pause for a second and just think about, like, are you weary? Are you burdened? I mean, not just maybe spiritually, but physically, like, you're just tired. We have a toddler, and we are tired. <laughs> like, how can we fight over naps during the day? That's our goal. Are you burdened? Like, do you just have a lot of things to worry about? Finances, family, relationships, your job, trying to balance all those things. Right? Like, you know, I, I think about, you can just walk down the street and I feel like everyone I see feels burdened. Like, we, are, we have no shortage of things to drive us into weariness or being burdened. And he says, come to me, all of you who are this. And Jesus is what? He's offering us a solution to all of life's problems. Now, you read that and you're like, sure, okay, all of life's problems, great. But well, let's just acknowledge that he's aware of, of the suffering and, and the evil in the world that we've all talked about, right? Like, he's aware of that. And, and he's acknowledging that, and he has something that, that I think it, it's, it's, it's beautiful to just think about at a face value, what is Jesus calling us into? Now, we had the Sermon on the Mount several weeks ago. If, if we lived that out, would we really find rest? That's what I like to ask myself, because that teaching is profound. It's almost impossible. That's kind of the point of it, Right? If we live that out, will we truly find rest? I think yes, but the problem is not the, the, the method. It's, it's the things that keep us from doing it, from believing that it's truly life and life to the fullest. And he, if, if we believe, let's just say that his, his teachings are profound, they transcend the human experience, that he lives this prototypical hum, human experience that we all can look at, right? Like We all are like, wow, what would he require of us then to follow him? And he literally says, come to me. And in verse 29, he says, take my yoke on you and learn from me. So he's inclu- his invitation is to everyone. He says, all you got to do is take my yoke on you and learn from me. And then in that, you'll find rest for your souls. The problem in this, like I said, people have heard this. And maybe if you're a Christian, you'd be like, yeah, yeah, I know. It's hard, harder said than done, right? Or easier said than done. The problem, like I said, is not the solution itself. The problem is really trusting that indeed it is the solution. Now, if we think about what's a yoke, right? You're like, Trey, come on now. Where, where are we going with the yoke here? The, there's two types of yoke. If you want to learn about yokes today, today's the day. Glad you came. First one is an animal yoke. Uh, so you should throw up the photo. This is of two oxen, typically used by oxen because they pull things. And it's this wooden piece. It goes around their neck. And there's, a, there's like a, bar, a circle piece in the middle that has a chain. And back in Jesus' time, and people still, I think, use yokes. It's more modernized. Uh, they would pull together. Now, the goal of a yoke was not only for animals that uh, you would have to walk side by side. Like, you couldn't have one oxen pull ahead of the other one. It would, like, cause an angle, and then the, the pulling would be wrong, right? So what they do is they, they would, the, the strong oxen would train the young oxen to walk in stride with him, right? And, and this is typically what we think of when we think of Jesus talking about this, like, this yoke, right? Like, we're, we got our necks, and then Jesus is our co-pilot, right? And, like, he's just dragging us along, <laughs> which... If you're honest, it can be overwhelming because you have to follow what he's doing, which is perfect, right? You're, like, trying to stumble along and probably being drugged by him. And, I mean, I always think about, like, what it would be like to be Jesus' brother, right? I mean, my gosh, that's, 
That is no fun at all. If you are, if you are the, little, the youngest child or like the middle child, you know how that goes, right? With the oldest, they're perfect. Uh, but the second type of yoke is what I think actually Jesus is talking more about, and this is a human yoke. Now, a human yoke is used still commonly in a lot of parts of Asia and the world, and, and a human yoke, if you can tell, is made for a human, and it's typically balanced on each side. So it's only for one person, you don't have two. And the yoke is actually really, really cool. We, we look at this and we're like, that's, that's cool, but it seems kind of like a waste of time. Like, why wouldn't you just pick up, you know, both buckets of water? Like, if I had a yoke for the grocery store, I'd be really excited because <laughs> I will try to grab as many bags as I can, and then half of them break and spill, and then, you know. But human yoke, and uh, the reason why Jesus, I think he's referring to human yoke and why we have human yokes even today, they're practical, is because... The maximum weight that you can lift just like this is about a third, if not a fourth, of what you can use on your shoulders. Uh, in fact, the, the yoke record, look at this photo of this guy. The yoke record, uh, I think it's, uh, let's see, it's, he carried it over 10 meters, and it was 1,224 pounds. So he put that big boy on his shoulder, and basically like each plate is like 100 pounds, and then some. And look at these people clapping. Yeah, that's so much weight. Imagine him carrying the groceries, right, if he put a yoke on. But... The record that would be correlative to this, for this, is about 400 pounds, about a third of the weight. So, what is Jesus painting here? Now, obviously he didn't, I mean, maybe he thought of that guy in mind, but what is Jesus painting here as he's talking to these people, and he's explaining, hey, if, if you have the pride and arrogance, this is where it's going to get you, but here's the humility, this is what it looks like. What is he painting? And I think what he's doing is, he's acknowledging everybody has a load. Like, there's something on your back, there's a burden that you're weary that's just the world, right? Like, we all have that. Whether it is suffering and, suffering and malevolence or it's, like, anxiety or worry or hardship. We have it. And he's acknowledging it. And, and I'm just, I mean, here's some examples of what we do with this load in the world. You can, you can see if you check any of these off or you know people who do. Some of us, we self-medicate to numb from the reality of it, right? Like, I have this massive load on my back, but I'm just going to self-medicate with alcohol or drugs or porn or Netflix binging or food or social media engagement, you name it. I'm just going to numb myself. Those will remove my feelings of what I'm experiencing. Some of us try to hide it when others are around, which is just goofy. We try to hide this massive weight on our shoulders, and we show up at church, and we act like we're fine, even though we're not, or we've been burned too many times, and so we don't want to be vulnerable, so we just hold this weight inside forever. Some of us lie about it, or the seriousness of it, like the weight of it in our life. Well, it's not really that bad. You know, I have scoliosis and several other slipped discs, but it's not that bad. I just can't sleep at night, but it's not that bad, right? Like, we justify, well, it's, it's not as bad as this person, right? Like, surely my burdens are, yeah, it's fine. Like, I don't need to do anything about them because they're not that big of a deal. Some of us try to just run away from it, right? That's funny. Like, trying to just, like, run away from it on your back, and it follows you if you didn't know. Some of us try to distract ourselves from it, similar to numbing, but maybe more of, like, it's not that we are trying to numb ourselves internally, but that we're trying to just purely distract ourselves, whether it's relationships, sex, social admiration and influence, money, your career, even intellectualism, which is literally what the Pharisees were dealing with. They had burden and they thought they, were, they thought they had it all figured out. So Jesus is here. He's being philosophical. He's acknowledging the reality of the fall and human suffering. Like he's acknowledging we have these burdens and these things we put on our back. And what I love about this is he's, he's saying, take on a, a human yoke, or take on my, the yoke, right? And he's not saying anything that he hasn't done first. I've used this phrase throughout the whole Gospel of Matthew, but he's not doing anything that he hasn't first done. Think about the yoke, of, uh, the weight that Jesus had on him in the world. Like, 
um, not only being, being a social outcast by so many different people, having different opinions of him even right now, dying on a cross alone, even just the physical weight of that is immense, but having your whole family reject you, having all your friends gone, being made fun of in front of tons of people naked, like there is, there is a lot of, of burden there that he has experienced. And he didn't do that for fun. He did that because he steps into our world and he carries a weight that, that allows him to show you the weight of what he's talking about and, what he, and how he cares for you. And so his, his kingdom, and this is what I, I love about like when we use this phrase, kingdom. His kingdom is not like far off. It's not up in the sky. It's here now tangibly among us. And then when we talk about the kingdom, that like if you think about this church, this space is like a kingdom outpost, that it is revealing light to the community that we're in. And that when we go out, we are little light bearers, which is a phrase he uses, and, and letting people bump into the kingdom. That's why it's not like we just tell people to be generous, to give away money, to be crazy. We do it because we know that when people see you do it, they're like, wait, what? And it, it messes them up. It's a little bit of light. Or when they see you give up your time when, when you know that you're busy, they're like, wait, what? And that's what even this flag means. In Grandview, as it is in heaven, we pray that the Lord would bring the kingdom tangibly among people here as it is in heaven. It's not that we wish heaven was necessarily here because we know that's kind of a distant plan as a part of his eternity, but that we want to see glimpses of it here. We're not, we're not, I don't know about you, but I'm not a doomsday person. I'm not like building my bomb shelter, getting excited about all the cans of tomato soup I have in there, right? I am excited about the impact that the light is having on this community until, who knows, when. Till I die, till you die, till this building dies, whatever. Like, that's what we're doing. And in this, he's giving us this invitation, and he's, he's doing something that he has done first himself. And so I want to talk about this yoke, because I think this is where the rub hits the road. If you're a Christian, you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you've probably dealt with this yoke in some ways where you've been like, yeah, it's dragging me, it's very heavy, Trey. I think I have the wrong yoke on. Or if you don't, and you're not a Christian, like, what does this look like, practically? And I, the best illustration I have is... Uh, uh, has anybody ever been up to Canada, up, up to the northern land? A couple of you. Wow. Surpri- you guys need to take a trip. We're not that far. <laughs> Just the other side of the, the big old pond up in Cleveland, you know? Uh, this is a photo of me and my dad. We would go to Canada a lot uh, when I was younger, and we would, uh, we would fish on these lakes. You can tell I definitely hit my growth spurt a little later than some. <laughs> um, but this is a lake in Canada. And uh, what we would do is, it, which I talk about now, it's kind of crazy, but we had started this one lake, and there was a chain of about, I'd have to look it up on Google Maps, so about 13 to 15 lakes. And they were all kind of like a journey, meaning you couldn't, like, drive a high, you couldn't drive a road to like Lake 6 or 7. They all were like connected. The farther away you went, the farther in the wilderness you were, the farther away you were from any sort of civilization. And so what you would do is you'd start you know, with your canoe. We had like a little side motor, ride across the first one take the canoe out, go to the second one, ride across the second one. And as you got further and further in, the fishing got better and better and better because you're like miles away from any sort of civilization. Well, we would typically stop, stop about like five or six and we'd be there for three, four days. It would take a long time to get there. And there was this one uh, distance between one lake and the other and it really separated like decent fishing from really, really, really good fishing. The reason why is because the journey was much farther. A lot of these was like 100 yards. You're like, I can carry a canoe 100 yards, no problem. This one was anywhere from around one and a half to two miles. Which is like, you ever go hiking, you're like, oh, that's nothing, that's old man's cave, like, you know, whatever. And then then you're like, put a canoe, like, hold a canoe, you know? How does that feel? And I'm like, you know, the size of a football, and I'm like, (laughs) you know, just dragging. There was holes in the canoe by the time we got there. No, and, and so what do you do? How do you carry this weight that everyone has to carry? A lot of people just say, I'm done, I'm out, I'm stopping. I'll just be fine with, like, four, you know? 
The fishing's decent, which is so many people in our world. I'd rather just numb or distract or isolate or avoid or, or play down the weight of my suffering because it's not worth like, stepping into this trust that I don't want to believe in. And but what would happen is, here's what you do. This is, this is the advice. This is Jesus' invitation. A lot of you are wondering, what is it? It is a new way of, in th- of thinking and believing in our lives. And so what you would do is this thing called portaging. If you're ever, if you're an avid canoe person, you maybe know what this means. Portaging is where you would put the canoe on your shoulders, literally. There's a photo of this guy. I love the shorts, too. That adds to it. But he's, he's portaging a canoe. And so, uh, so a lot of canoes would have this, like, wooden bar. If you've ever wondered what that's for, and it's the shape of, like, your neck, you would uh, grab the canoe, you would flip it up over, and you'd throw it on your head. And you would literally walk with the canoe on your head. Now, we'd carry a canoe like this for 100 yards, and my arm would be fried. Because you're like, you know, it's not like a straight, so you're like kind of walking like this because the canoe's at an angle and you're hitting your shin all the time and your arm's like done. And, and then you do this and it's insane how light it is. It's like wearing a backpack. It's not bad at all. Now, obviously, you have to balance, right? Because it's a, like a 10-foot thing. But it is shocking how when you put this yoke on, you can do anything you want. Now, it's funny. Whenever we had my dad's canoe, was not very good. And so we had to literally put paddles parallel to the length of the canoe and then tie them. And it was like... It was like straps. It was wild. And we would do that. And when we got to lake five or six or whatever it was, right, like it was just so worth it. But when you, when you thought about it first, you're doing all these things. You think you know the right answer. And even if you don't, you give up. But Jesus says, look, I have a yoke that will change your life. And, and at the end of the day, you're probably not going to believe it at first. Like just look at this guy. Like you're not, I'm going to go do that. That makes sense, right? You're like, that guy is crazy. Like, why is, he, why is he doing that? You don't think that's practical. So picture yourself, like, take yourself in, uh, maybe a little bit in this guy's shoes or shorts, if you will, but everyone has these loads, right? And, and you decide, you know what? I'm going to break the mold. Life is, like, you, you realize life is just hard. Like, I'm, I'm, st- I'm done denying it. I'm tired. I've watched all the Netflix shows just to watch. So I can't binge anymore. I'm going to try something new. You take this baby step, right? You're like, I don't know about you, Jesus. You have, like... I don't know if you're real. I haven't experienced you in the way I would want to. I have a lot of questions. I'm going to take this step. And you, you do, right? And then you, uh, you take this step, and, and guess what happens? You start to put his teachings into practice because you're like, well, let's see if this actually does anything, right? You're kind of testing Jesus, if you will. What happens? You put the canoe on your shoulders, and you're like, wow, this is actually kind of light. But then everyone around you is like, like whoa, like, what's wrong with you? Like, you look so weird. Like, why aren't you just carrying your weight on your shoulders like everyone else and, like, basically dying and then you have this canoe on you. And so people start jeering at you. They say, man, why do you have that? And that's so dumb. Surely that won't work. You look like an idiot. It's unorthodox to the way everyone else is doing it. I think about this when people Sabbath, right? Like, they're like, what an idiot. That guy doesn't work one day a week. Like, he's never going to make as much money as I will or be as successful as I will. He gives away how much of his income. He serves people who won't even pay him back. Blah, 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 right? People can infiltrate what we're doing and we think we're crazy, right? We're like, we have a canoe on our back. This is crazy. But at the end of the day, when people are put in that situation, they see you do it and they try it. They realize there's no other way to do it. Like carrying a canoe like a sidearm, not possible. Terrible. And so what I would argue in this invitation, and if you're new to following Jesus or you're curious, this is the invitation. But if you have been following Jesus, I just ask you, are you actually carrying your canoe in such a way that people are like, that's crazy, but wow, when I tried it, it makes sense. If your life looks like everyone else, there's no, there's no attraction to what you're doing. And so he's saying, like, come, take on my yoke and learn from me. Follow my teachings. And, and if, you're, if you've exhausted all options, like this, you'll find truth and rest for your souls. 
I put it this way, because you've exhausted all your other options, or you realize that your kingdom isn't as great as you thought, you become like a child aware of your helplessness and need for a savior, which is exactly what, why it has been given to little children. You're willing to look down with a canoe on your shoulders. And what's funny, and I think we've, Sarah and I have experienced that recently, the weight of this, is once you do it, you're like, oh my gosh, this is great. Why didn't I always do this, right? Like, wow, the, the, the world is not as bad as, like, it's not as hard on me as I thought it would be because I have this perspective now and I have this belief and this trust and the Holy Spirit's doing things in me. Sarah uh, used, uh, gave up her smartphone a while ago and was kind of on social media and we were talking about it. She's like, yeah, it's shocking how at first you have like this anxiety around it and then like two weeks later you like forget what Facebook is because you're just like, oh, like once I did it, no big deal. I'm fine. Life's okay. Like I don't, I feel way more free actually. And in the same way, this is what he's asking. A lot of us are like hesitating to put this yoke on and um, I just I want to read this quote by Dane Orland. Uh, he, he puts it so well, and he wrote a book um, that, that talks about Jesus' heart, and, and it says, says this. He says, Jesus is, is resplendent in glory, which is a great word, in dazzling holiness, and he's unique to, to, to no one else. Like, he's so unique. But no one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. And so when he tells you to put on this yoke, what are the two words that he, he uses to describe his heart for this? Verse 29, here it is. He says, take my yoke on you and learn from me. Why? Here it is. The two words that would describe Jesus' heart. Let's see if you're right. Because I am gentle and humble in heart. I am gentle and humble in heart. His truest, deepest heart inclination is one of gentleness and humility. In other words, his deepest heart cry to minister to people is, is through humility and gentleness. That's, that's the Savior of the world who has all authority, like John the Baptist, to put a hammer to the world. And what does he do with gentleness, meekness, and humility? And, and, and uh, Dane Orland says, no payment is required. He says, I will give you rest. His rest is a gift, not transaction. Whether you are actively working hard to crowbar your life into smoothness or passively finding yourself weighed down by something out of your control, Jesus Christ desires that you find rest, that you come in out of the storm and it outstrips even your own worries. He says this, which I think is just so great. If we are asked to say only one thing about who Jesus is, we would be honoring his own teaching if our answer is gentle and humble. Gentle and humble. The next, the next part of verse 30, he says, my, For my yoke is easy to bear and my load is not hard to carry. So he, this thing is asked of us and we decide, wow, like that's, I'll, I'll try it. Um, but typically when things are asked of us, we ask what's, in, what's, what's the payment in return, right? Like nothing is free, you know? And, and then you start to second guess when you're wearing the canoe, right? For the sake of illustration, people are making fun of you. You're like, maybe I really shouldn't have done this. Maybe this guy is crazy. Maybe I, like surely he's manipulating me, right? He has an angle. And he's like, well, if I'm manipulating you, then I'm dumb because I'm doing, the, I did the exact same thing. Like, I lived life on earth in one of the most humble ways. I came from humble origins. I lived a humble life. I died a very, very holy, humble death. So what I'm telling you to do is nothing that I wouldn't have done myself or didn't do. And in that, we, we see this, like, trust. And, and so what I love about this last verse, and this is kind of the close, kind of the application of this, right? Because you think, all right, this invitation is awesome. I get it. Be like a child. Humility. Receive this yoke. Think about the world differently. Right, in the way that Jesus says. But a lot of people just say, all right, like, I'm, I like that, and then they don't actually put on the yoke. 
They just like throw all their burdens on Jesus, which is, which is, he can handle them. But what does he say here in verse 30? For my yoke is easy to bear and my load is not hard to carry. He's not saying like, hey, I got it all. Like he wants to include you in this. And it, it's so interesting. It's almost like, I think about it like this. It's like we, we think that Jesus, like he, um, he pays for like the pizza at a hangout. And then it's just so generous. And then he's like, hey, anybody want to ride with me to help pick it up? And you're like, no, nah, you got it. Like, you already paid. Go get it. Like, there's no relationship. You know what I mean? Like, if your friend came over and was like, hey, I'm going to buy us dinner. I got to go pick it up. Like, or do you want to pick it up? Or do you want to come with me? And you're like, no, nah, you got it. You can go do it. Like, just go do it, right? You're like, what kind of friend is that? You know, like, they're already giving themselves, like, giving themselves a sacrifice to you. Wouldn't you want to be in a relationship? Like, what type of relationship is that? Where you're just like, go do all your things, and I'm going to keep doing me. I'm going to wait for the pizza, <laughs> right? Like, what is that? And, and I think about that. It's such a consumer mentality around even Jesus, like what he's calling us into is to participate in this because in the sharing of this, we not only share in Jesus' sufferings, which is mentioned in the Bible, but that he shares in ours and that we experience relationship through that. And so it throws away everything that all, everyone had known from the Old Testament, like the, the laws that they had been living. It says this, one scholar says that Jesus' yoke is like that of the Torah, which is all everything they knew before Jesus, the, the Old Testament parts of it. It, it. That one was one of learning. It's being a lifelong learner, a process of how to live as God requires. But this learning that Jesus mentions is unlike that of any of the religious leaders. It doesn't bring weariness, but rest for your souls. And he says, this is, I love what he says. He says, at the deepest level, the rest Jesus offers is not a relaxation from the demands of righteousness. So you don't just get to like, oh, get out of jail free card. I'm going to live my life. The demands, he says, they're rather actually quite the opposite, but a new relationship with God which makes it possible to fulfill them. He says, it is not the removal of any yoke, but a new and kind yoke which makes the burdens light. And that's just what I want to think, think about tonight, today. As we think about our community, our lives, like do we live in such a way that we have a yoke that is, bur- that is burdenless and light. That it is something that we carry, but it's not the weight of the world that weighs us down. And so this is the invitation that we have all individually and together. So I want to invite up the band as we close here. And I want us just to think on this idea that this invitation is something that we all have the experience to have, not only individually, but as a community. A lot of times we think, all right, like this is for me and for myself and my situation. But the beauty of a church and the beauty of even just like our church is that we think about it as a community. What if our community was able to, to assume this burden for the community of Grandview? What could we do and accomplish and how could we love out of this relationship as we do it together? So that's why we take the Lord's Supper every Sunday. So if you believe in Jesus and you uh, have one of those, there's some in the back, you can grab one. We take that every Sunday because it's a reminder, not only for you individually, but for us as a church that we all need the sacrifice of Jesus, and that in that we receive rest for our souls. So I want to close with this. This is 1 John 3.16. We have come to know love by this, that Jesus laid down his life for us, thus we ought to lay down our lives for others. And just think about that as we take some time to reflect here. You can take communion. There's also uh, some time to reflect. We even have people in the back who would love to pray for you, and then we're going to close with one more song. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.